Hallelujah. It says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Not that they might, it says that they shall recover. It says, if anyone's sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And it says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Not make them feel better about themselves. It shall save them. And I, I like that Jesus says that He saves to the uttermost, meaning He goes all the way, not just halfway. Amen? Well, we've been doing a series now. I've lost track of how many weeks. I'd have to go back and count it up, and we'll say six or seven. We've been doing a series on faith, and we're going to continue there. So let's get right back to our main text and jump right into this. In 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence. Everybody say is. Is means it's a definite article. This is how John feels. This is not something he's wishy-washy about. This is something John is firm about. He says, this is the confidence. And we said that confidence is just, in this context, is another word for faith. So John is putting his faith on display in writing this book. And you know, he was actually writing to a bunch of people who started, instead of living in action they were doing everything well this is just how i think and i'll think about it and everything and he was they were very internalizing it and so john was writing to that group of people trying to counteract the the poor teaching that had come to them and so john is trying to get them to combine their faith with corresponding action so he says this is the confidence that i have in him him being Jesus. His confidence wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his ability. His confidence was in Jesus. He says that if we, he's not saying that I, he said that we, meaning he's writing to the larger body of Christ saying, this is what we have available to us. So that means it's for me and it's for you as well. He says that if we ask anything according to his will, what is his will? His will is his word. If you can find it in his word, it's for you. And he says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we have the petitions we have asked of him. That is an awesome verse. Now, two weeks ago, we preached a message to you called Finding Faith When Fear Tries to Drown You. And we were talking about Jesus and Peter walking on the water, which is really a great story. It's in Matthew chapter 14. And it starts with Jesus. He uh, multiplies the bread and the fish and feeds the 5,000. And then it's starting to get later in the day, so he sends them away. We told you it was around 5 or 6 in the evening. Jesus sends his disciples in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. We told you it's about 11 kilometers wide. And then Jesus went up into the mountains to pray. And he was up there for a while, and it said when evening had come, there was a storm that came up on the Sea of Galilee, which is not uncommon for the Sea of Galilee. The way the, the, the air comes from the east and sweeps up over the mountains, when it hits a warm front coming from the west, it causes turbulent storms on the Sea of Galilee. This is not the only time we see this in the Bible. We also see it when Jesus is in the boat with them, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and the same thing. They, it's called a Euroclidon, the way that the airs meet, the two different pressure systems. And it causes like many hurricanes on this. It's not really that large. It's 20 kilometers long and about 11 kilometers wide. So it's really, it's not like the ocean. It's not like, the, like Lake Ontario where you can't see across it. It's a, it's a, it's a fair-sized lake, but it's not ginormous by any sense. 
And so they're out there and a storm comes up and it's tossing them to and fro. And we told you that in the fourth watch of the night, which is about three o'clock in the morning, which means that they had been stuck in the middle of this sea for eight to nine hours. They've been bailing their boat. They've been rowing and rowing. You got to think, if you've been rowing for eight to nine hours, you're tired. You are doggone tired. Just, whew, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And that's the state that we find them in. It says that they were very afraid because they're thinking, we're going to die. You know, the, the, most of the disciples were fishermen all their life. They know what it's like to be out in a storm on the sea. You usually get off before you're in the position that they're in. And so they're thinking, this is the end for us. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, here comes Jesus walking on the water. Now, let's just, I was thinking about this this week. You got a picture. This is a storm, right? So the waves are going up and down. So it's not like Jesus is just walking here on the flat ground like us. He's going up and down, up and down. And he's been trekking like five and a half kilometers to get out to them. So it's not like this has been an easy walk. Sometimes we think of it as so peaceful and serene. Jesus just walking on the water. No, there's a big storm going on. And so as he gets close to his disciples, they cry out and say, it's a ghost. You know, they're thinking like the grave is opening up to swallow us up. And here comes the ghost to welcome us into the afterlife. And Jesus says, fear not, it's I be of good cheer. So we told you the very first thing that Jesus did was he fixed their focus. What was their focus? We're going to die. The grave is opening up to receive us. There's water in the boat. I don't know if I can row anymore. This looks like the end. I just can't go any further. And Jesus says, fear not. And when we're in the midst of things going on in our lives, the thing we need to do first is put our eyes on Jesus. And everything then moves from there. If you keep your eyes on the storm, you miss the solution. So we need to learn to be able to let go of the panic, of the busyness, of the noise, of everything that can be going on. Maybe your kids have been screaming all day and you're just like, oh my goodness, I can't take it anymore. I can relate, I've got four. <laughs> doesn't matter what your day has been like. We need to learn how to let go of all that and fix our focus on Jesus. So they did that. Their panic stops. And then we have Peter. Oh, you got to love Peter. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come walking on the water. And Jesus says, come. What was Peter doing? We told you he was finding his anchor. Our text that we read out of in 1 John 5, it says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. You got to know what his will is, and his will is disclosed in his word. It says that by his stripes you are healed, that he supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And down the list, as far as you can go, if you've got a situation, the Bible's got God's solution. And it is, you win. So Peter was looking for, what's my place in this situation? Jesus is walking on the water. I think that's pretty cool. Jesus, can I do it too? And you know, 
Jesus never, ever, ever tempered his disciples and said, no, 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 this isn't for you. No, what did he do? He sent them out two by two to go and heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes. He sent them out to do what he does. Never once did Jesus say, no, 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 that's just for me. So Peter says, Jesus, I want to walk on the water too. And Jesus says, come. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And then we said the next thing is, you got to step out. So Peter, when he found out that he could do it too, what did he do? He jumps over the edge of the boat and out onto the water. And the same process like Jesus. He's going up. He's going down. He's going up. He's going down with the water, running up over it. But what happened? As he's maybe down in one of those gullies of the wave before he's walking up the other side, he begins to see less of Jesus and more of water. And his focus begins to shift, and the Bible tells us that he became afraid and began to sink. And what did he do? Jesus, save me. And we told you, refocus as necessary. As many times a day as you need to, put your eyes back to Jesus. Because as soon as Peter's focus changed from Jesus to the waves and the wind, his results changed as well. And he began to sink. But when he cried out and said, Jesus, save me, and put his focus back on Jesus, immediately Jesus grabbed him lifted him back up, and they began walking again together. So when his focus was returned, so did his results. And so if you feel like your results in what you're believing for has started to wane, check your focus back. So this morning, I want to focus on part number three, which was respond. Because you will never walk on water unless you get out of the boat. And as sometimes we give Peter a hard time, like, oh yeah, Peter, oh you have little faith, you got out there walking and then you began to sink and Jesus had to save you. I want to say, what about the 11 that didn't even bother asking, didn't even get over the side of the boat? I tell you this morning, I don't want to be like the 11, I'd rather be like Peter and sink every once in a while and actually accomplish something cool for God. And so if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And if you want to conquer the trials of life, you got to get out of your boat. If you want to overcome sickness, you got to get out of the boat. If you want to overcome financial lack, you got to get out of the boat. And so point number three is very important in this story. So I want to preach a message to you this morning called, What World Are You Framing? So if we go back to 1 John... It says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. And beyond faith being the first focus, John talking about his confidence or his faith, what is the second focus of this verse? That if we ask anything, whatever we ask, we have the petitions we have asked of him and so this morning when we're talking about responding you can say you believe things but unless you have responded to it you don't really believe it because faith responds 
When Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water, Jesus said, yes, come. So he jumped out of the boat. If Peter didn't actually believe he could do it, he wouldn't have jumped out of the boat. It's a storm. You're going to drown. So your faith will always cause you to respond. And so in our second text that we've been using is Mark 11, 22 through 24. And Jesus teaches about moving mountains. Now, he wasn't talking about going and telling Mount Everest to jump into the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean. He was talking about the mountains or the obstacles that we face in life and your ability to rearrange the landscape of the things you face. But that story in Mark 11, 22, and 24 didn't actually start there. It started back 10 verses before that in verse 12. And it says, The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Thank God Jesus is just like you. You ever been hungry? I know I have. A little hungry right now. Looking forward to some food after this. (laughs) The next morning, they were leaving Bethany, and Jesus was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, And so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early for the season of fruit. And verse 14 it says, so in response, say in response. In response response to what? Lack of fruit. Lack of it's not meeting his need. He's hungry. He wants some figs. It's got no figs. So in response... Jesus said to it. You realize that there's many things going on in your life that are talking to you right now and you need to start talking back to them? The tree may not have said something audibly, but it was saying something physically to Jesus. You are in lack and I will not provide it. Maybe you find yourself that way in your finances and your finances saying, you don't have enough, you don't have enough, you're not going to get out, you're not going to get out. You need to have a response to it and say, shut up, I'm going to overcome. My God supplies all my needs. The situations of your life demand a response. And Jesus had no problem talking to the tree in response to what it was already saying to him. And so in response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So it's not something he thought. It's something he said, and they heard it. Now, it's important to notice that the story just doesn't say the true tree also went boom and burst into flames and burned to the ground. No, there was nothing. It just says that his disciples heard it. They go into Jerusalem, or into Bethany, and they do some things in Jerusalem as well. And then it says, that evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city, and the next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it withered from the roots up. Meaning something had started in the ground when Jesus spoke over it that they could not see, but something had begun. And oftentimes when we step out, we say a little bit to our situation, and we don't recognize that something has begun. And then we look at what we can see above the soil and say, oh, nothing happened. Oh, I guess this doesn't work. There's things always working behind the scenes on your behalf. You need to believe that what Jesus has said about you is actually working for you. And so it started to dry from the roots up. 
And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree. Again, said to the tree on the previous day. And he exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the tree which you cursed has withered and died. Jesus had cursed the tree. You know, here's something that James said in James chapter 3, verse 10. It says, and so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Now, when it's talking about cursing, he's not talking about swearing. You know, that's not what the Bible talks about when it uses a curse. It's talking about speaking negative, destructive things over your life. And so James says, one moment you can be blessing your life, and the next moment you can be cursing your life. And he says in verse 11, and it ought not to be this way, meaning you should only have one flow and the flow should be good. And we told you that Deuteronomy 30.19 says, Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. So how do we access those blessings and those curses? We do it with our mouth. And so he says, Now I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, that you would speak good over your life. That you would speak the word of God over your life. That you would speak in blessing. But you know something that Joseph Prince said a number of years ago that always stuck with me? He said, most people are, have a very foreign concept of the idea of speaking blessing over their life. They get so used to speaking cursing, he says, well, if all you know how to do is curse, curse your lack, curse your sickness, and curse everything else. And then once you learn how to speak blessing, speak blessing over it. Stop cursing yourself and speak the situation out of the way. So Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Your words are so powerful. Pastor Robin didn't know what I was preaching about this morning, but he was picking up on that when he was doing offering, about how important your words are in your situation. He said, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Mark eleven twenty two happens. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. The focus of your faith should always be in God and the work that Jesus has done on your behalf. But he says, For surely I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes out those things which he says will be done, he'll have whatsoever he says. You know, Brother Hagin pointed out, he said, you've noticed that saying is in there three times and believing's only in there once. Because believing's the easy part. You have to get people to actually speak out what they believe. And so God told them, just do three times as much teaching on speaking faith than you do on believing. And it seemed to work pretty good for him. It says in verse 24, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, how do you ask for things? With your mouth. When you pray, what do you do when you pray? You talk to God. Believe you receive them, and you will have them. So there's a very large emphasis throughout the New Testament, and even a lot throughout the Old Testament, about the power of your words over your situation. It says, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And we often think about God's the one doing the justifying and the condemning, but let's take God out of the equation for a second. He's already done everything He's already going to do on Jesus. 
Your justification and your condemnation starts with you because He's put you in the power of your life. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So He's not asking you to do something that He doesn't do Himself. You realize that if we go back to what it's referencing here, which is Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness hovered over the, was all over the face of the earth, and this Holy Spirit hovered over the surface of the deep. And then it says in verse 3, Then God said... So in verse number one, God created, which will be the act of belief. There's something he already believed about what he was going to do, but nothing happened until verse three, when he said, then God said. What did he say? Let there be light, and then there was light. And then he goes on with seven acts of creation that all began with seven God saids. And sometimes we sit back in our life and say, God, why don't I see this? And why don't I see that in my life? And he's looking at saying, what have you been speaking into existence in your life? Because the same faith that he used is the same faith you have. That's what Galatians tells us. The life that we now live, we don't live in our own strength, but by the faith of the Son of God. Romans chapter 12, 2 says that He's given unto each one of us the measure of faith. You've already got faith. It's now time to turn it loose. And how you do that is with your words. Back to Hebrews eleven three, it says, We understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And I was doing a little look into that word framed. And you know what it means? It means to complete it means to mend what has been broken, or it means to repair. So maybe when you look over your life, you feel like some things are broken, that's okay. Your words of faith can mend them. You need some repairing in your, in your mind, you need some repairing in your body, that's okay. Your words can mend it. Because everything that you need has already been given to you. That's what Peter told us. He said that you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now it's up for you to complete the picture. What are you painting? What are you framing? What kind of world are you creating? So I want to focus on a story this morning. It's a great story, and it's found in Mark chapter 5. And it starts with Jesus. He gets a messenger from Jairus. He says, my, my daughter's sick, she's dying, please come. Jesus gets on his way and starts going. And on the way, he meets a crowd, and they're, they're all wanting his attention. They're all pressing. It says they're thronging, which means that they're all pressed up against him. Everybody's probably saying, Jesus, over here, Jesus, come on. And in the midst of all the commotion and chaos, and Jesus trying to get to Jairus' house, we find this story of the woman with the issue of blood. And verse 25 of chapter 5 says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So at some point, she, had some, she had, must have had a little bit of wealth at some point. And over these last 12 years of her affliction, she spent everything she had. She suffered much from many doctors and didn't get better, got worse. So this seems like a dire situation in this lady's life. She's got nowhere else to turn. And you know, sometimes I find that's the place where faith works best. 
You know, you don't have to hit rock bottom for your faith to work, but I guarantee you when you get there, you only have two options, believe or die. And you know, that's what we used to find in prayer and healing school. When the terminally ill would come, it'd be like, their only options are the doctor said, go home and prepare to die. So it's either I believe in or I go home and die. And so you see that faith is often willing to work when you're at bottom. Don't wait till the bottom. But that's where this lady was. She was at the bottom. She had nowhere else to go. But in verse 27, it says, She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And when I read that verse, I almost about flipped out. For she thought to herself, For she thought to herself, I don't know, I grew up with the King James and the New King James, and uh, I'm pretty sure it doesn't say she thought to herself. You need to be careful whose word you take on some things, right? So the New Living Translation, the NIV, the NASB, and a whole bunch of other of these modern translations all say that she thought to herself. Well, I'm here to tell you that's a load of bull. The word for thoughts is enthymasis. That's not the word used here. The word that's used is lego, which means to speak, to say, or to declare. So the woman with the issue of blood didn't hear about Jesus and say, oh, in my mind, I wish I could be healed. She wasn't thinking that. You know what happened? She heard about Jesus and she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Don't let religion train you to be silent. When David faced his giant, he didn't go up there and say, in my mind, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. No, he got out there in front of the giant and says, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you dare come and defy the God of Israel? I'm going to cut your head off and feed you to the birds. You don't run at your giant with your mouth closed. It's not about what goes up here in your thoughts. It's what you've put on your mouth. And so when she heard about Jesus, for she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. I love what the Amplified Version says about it. For she kept saying. It picked up on the tense of continual motion. She was telling herself, if I could just touch Jesus I'll be restored to health. I will be made well. I'm going to go through this crowd and I'm going to grab hold of that garment. And she did exactly what she said. And in verse 29, it says, immediately, immediately when? When she grabbed the hem of his garden, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So when her faith found its connection, she was made well. And you know, sometimes when you're going through situations in life, you got to set up that connection point. When the elders lay hands on my body, the power of God will go into it and I will be made well. When I wake up and get in the office this morning, my phone is going to start ringing off the hook with new orders and new clients. You need to put that place of connection. Add little language to your faith. If you want to see your business grow, go ahead and put your faith in your words behind it. And so immediately, the situation changed for her. But it's not the only immediately in the story. It says, and Jesus 
immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. My goodness, when you line your faith with your words, power flows. And Jesus immediately recognized. And he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said, you see the multitude pressing up against you? And you say, who touched me? The disciples are, are not understanding the type of touch Jesus was talking about. He's saying, someone placed a demand on my power, and they got what they believed. And it says, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus didn't say, no, you don't touch me like that, only if I'm willing to heal you. No, Jesus was just a spectator. Think about that. We often think that, well, if Jesus just happens to come by my way, if he's feeling willing today, then, oh my goodness, I can be healed then. Uh, this woman didn't ask Jesus how he felt about it. And Jesus said, woman, it is your faith. And how did she release her faith? If I can only touch his garment, I'll be well. What have you been saying about your situation? You know, we often play too little position in here in this, with this type of thing. But you know, that's how you got saved. Pastor Robin quoted already. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the, the mind we think unto salvation. No. It says with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How did you get saved? You believed something and you talked about it. Going to church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. You either believe and speak, or you ain't saved. That's just how it is. It's an easy problem to solve. God, I believe, and I receive you as my Savior. Done. So we need to stop treating the rest of life, well, uh, I guess blessing will just have to find me. No! Find blessing and grab hold of it. Well, I guess Jesus will have to come by and heal me. No! Grab healing! Fear, well, you know, maybe one of these days I won't be so anxious. No! Tell it to take a hike. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that since we have the same spirit of faith, same spirit of faith as who? Jesus. According to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. So we also believe, and therefore think about it. Sit back in my room and just hope that somebody knocks on my door long enough to bring me what I need. No! I believe, and therefore we speak. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need deliverance out of your situation? Call! Open up your mouth. You mean to make a phone call? You don't just dial the number and go... And the person on the other end is going, Hello? Hello? And Jesus is sitting on your line right now going, Hello? Call? Talk? Put a little action, a little response to your faith. 
I like this one. Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who has redeemed from the hand of the enemy? I like how the New Living says this one. It says, Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. <laughs> Revelations 12.11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You declare your testimony before the test is even over. Stop waiting till the end to declare God's goodness. Declare it at the beginning and see it a lot quicker along the way. If there is no response or expression of faith, there is no power. I guarantee you, this is why some of you haven't been seeing some things that you want to see in your life. Don't just sit idle. you got to get out of the boat. you got to throw your leg up over the side and go ahead and walk. But I've never walked on water before. That's okay, Peter hadn't either. Well, I've never been blessed before. That's okay, it was new to the disciples too. Well, I've never been healed before. Neither had the woman with the issue of blood. You eventually got to just move. So what about the other stories we've been talking about? We talked about how Peter added action to his faith. But what about Elijah? If we look back at the story of Elijah, what happened? He walked into the king's court and said, It will not rain for three and a half years. Deal with it, king. And walked out. What he believed, he spoke before the king. But we have a way of twisting it, you know. Here in James chapter 5, verse 17, talking about that story, he says, Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And we see that he prayed earnestly, and I've heard so many messages preach this way, if you just stay at it long enough, and you just press deep enough, and if you just put your whole heart into it for long enough, then things will happen. Uh, Elijah didn't do that says he was like us, right? He was a man with nature like us, and he prayed earnestly. And what was his earnest prayer? King, it won't rain for three and a half years. Do you realize that one statement from you can be just that heartfelt and earnest than a thousand, oh, I think this can do. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What about when he was sent to the widow? God told him that the widow would provide for him. And he got there, and there was nothing to provide with. She was making a cake for her, her and her child to die, eat and die. And he said to her, Make me one first, and your pots will never run out. He didn't think, Oh God, I guess I must have come to the wrong widow. No. If God says go to a widow... And you get there, and you find the widow waiting at the gates. It's not a matter of looking around and saying, well, I guess God was wrong. Go ahead and speak it. What about the 12 spies that we talked about? When Moses sent them in to spy out the land. We know that 10 came back and said, it's a good land, but there are giants in it, and we're just grasshoppers in our eye, their eyes. It would have been better if we would have stayed in Egypt. Oh no, we're going to die if we go forward. You know what happened to them? They all died. But there was also two men that stood up and tried to calm down the congregation and said this, it's a good land flowing with milk and honey, and we can take it because God is with us. You know what happened? They went into the land, and they took the land 
just like they had said. You know, at 85 years of old age, Caleb entered into the, 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 the land and he said, you know what? Give me the mountain. I'll take it. The spirit of faith was still strong in his heart. After 40 years of waiting, he's like, I'm walking in my words. Give me the mountain. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this to us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hold fast to your confession of your faith. So I said I wanted to talk about response. Your number one response is put it on your mouth and speak out what God has said about the situation. But it doesn't look like it, Pastor Jordan. Well, you know what? I didn't ask you to look at the situation. I asked you to speak into the situation what your heart already believes. You realize you don't have to convince your spirit to believe what God believes. You've got to convince your mind. And the easiest way to convince your mind is go around it and start talking. You can live forever up in your thoughts. But you know what happens? Something funny happens when you start talking. Things begin changing. You can be in a grouchy, grouchy mood. But you know, you turn on some good music and start singing, and you find, whoa, I'm not as upset as I was anymore. Why? Because you stopped thinking about it and you started speaking something different. So what world are you framing? You right now have the power to change your surroundings in your life. I'm not telling you to speak over other people's lives. That's their problem. Speak over yours. Speak blessing. But the first thing you always have to start with is you got to get saved. you got to believe. And maybe you're watching this morning via the internet. We thank you for joining with us. If you have not believed, I want you to take time right now. And if maybe you're in this place this morning and you haven't made Jesus your Lord, it's time to do so. You can't just think about it forever. You've got to put some action to your faith. So right now I want you all to stand up with me. And if you're at home watching via the internet, just go ahead and pray along with us. Right now, Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. And right now, by faith, I receive you in Jesus' name. I thank you that you're my Savior. And now I declare you as my Lord. And I thank you for the good things you have for me. That my life begins to change now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that at home this morning, I want you to get in contact with me so that we can get some resources in your hand. If you prayed that here this morning with us, let us know. We'd love to get some good resources to you and help you out in your next steps. But right now, there are so many things that you can be doing in your life this week. There are so many things you could be doing. Choose what is right. Speak God's blessings in your situation and watch it turn. So we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are all blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.